We're starting a new series. You guessed it, on the book of Genesis. So look, we figure we preached through Job. We were crazy enough to do that. We could certainly go to Genesis. Um, we've had the blessing of preaching through many books of the Bible here at New City since we started worshiping regularly in 2011. And so now we, uh, Pete and I figured, let's go back to where it all began. And we're, we're going to start there. We're going to look at Genesis 1. At least we're going to begin there. We'll see how far we get. We might have two sermons in Genesis 1. Um, but we're going to start and see how far we get this morning. So hear the word of God to you this morning. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening. And there was morning. The second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and, gather, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. 
God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Two more verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Thus ends the reading of God's holy an errant word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. So I'm telling you right now, it's going to be two sermons. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Sean, can you do me one favor? Yes. Can you lower this a little bit? This thing is booming. And I tend to have a big mouth. the meaning and the purpose of this life. You realize how many people are walking on this globe and have no clue what the main purpose of being here is? And speaking of God's green earth, how in the world did it get here? It's another biggie. Where did it all come from? And there's other questions that we have to ask. We just heard a prayer request this morning that will remind us of it. Why is this world so filled with hate? Why is it so filled with murder? And lies and thieving and marital unfaithfulness that brings about pain and destruction. I could sum up that question. How did we get in this mess? It's a good question. Speaking of marital unfaithfulness, who first thought up the whole idea of holy matrimony? I mean, who came up with this idea? One man, one woman, we're going to call it marriage, it's going to be for life. 
Why was the institution of marriage created and for what purpose? <laughs> A lot of married people need to know that one. What about homo sapiens, or we can call them the human race? You know, like when I was in Iowa and they said, what race are you? I said, I guess I'm a, from the human race. Amen? Amen. Well, what about the human race? Who made, who made them the boss? You know, we always say, you ain't the boss of me. Well, who made humans the boss of the rest of creation? Right? Who died and left them boss? What, and here's another question. What makes people different than animals? You've got to understand, there are people today that believe there is no difference. But obviously, you look with your eyeballs, you see there's some type of difference. And what makes them? What, what is that difference? How do you name what that is about man? And what about work? Oh, we've got to talk about work. Listen, considering that, other than sleep, for most of us anyway, because I could drink as much coffee as I want and still go... <laughs> Eight hours minimum. But other than sleep, what else do we do most of our time as adults? We spend most of our day doing what? Work. Some kind of work. work. So considering we spend all that time coming and going in, in, in work, at work, you would think we want to know why do we have to work, when should we be working, and how? In what manner? It's a good question. Now, what, are all, what do all these questions have in common? You know, first of all, I just mentioned, the one thing they have in common is these are questions that uh, mankind has been asking almost since the beginning. So that's what they have in common. But another thing that we could say they have in common is this. Now, this might be a little shocker to some people in the world. For Christians, it shouldn't be such a shock. But they all find their answer in the book of Genesis. You go to the book of Genesis, you find the answers to these huge life questions that man has been asking for thousands and thousands of years minimum. That's why we're going to study this book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, because we're going to find out some of the foundational issues of literally the universe, of life, of the world, and just a couple more to whet your appetite in case you still are, are not addicted, in case your, your appetite hasn't been wet enough that you're like, man, I can't wait until we get into Genesis. Stop asking the questions. Well, a couple more. Just how sinful and depraved is mankind? Hmm. How can sinful human beings have fellowship with a holy, holy, holy God? Wow, that's a big spiritual question. And are there really malignant, wicked beings in the universe who have evil intent? Who are invisible to our eyesight? Hey, listen, where did all the various languages of the world come from anyway? Who or what determines gender? Oh, if I lost you before, I see eyes waking up now. Are there any gender-specific gender roles given to us by our Creator? I, get, I know I have your attention now. <laughs> now. As we look at the book of Genesis in the coming months, we're going to see that it tackles every single one of these questions. It doesn't answer all of the questions we may have, but it, it answers those questions that I mentioned. And it may open up other questions. 
right? When we learn things, it tends, we tend to find out other questions get open. But here's the, the, one of the more puzzling questions I have. Why are some who profess to believe that the Bible is the holy word of God still asking these questions when the Bible has already answered them? You know, it's one thing when an unbelieving world, we, not, we know why they keep asking them because they refuse to believe this is God's word. What we don't know is why Bible-believing Christians would still be asking these questions. Well, actually, <laughs> this is interesting, the book of Genesis answers that question. It tells us that man fell into sin. And that in his subsequent selfishness and his in his rebellion he is darkened in his understanding he does not submit to god's law nor can he do so and here's the issue to acknowledge the truth of god's word as it's found in genesis would be to acknowledge listen this is important that some of our thoughts some of our affections and some of our lifestyle decisions don't measure measure up to the mark of God's holy call and how he created us. And they call for something that people don't like. Repentance. A change of life. A mind and of life. And of faith in the one true God. A. Thullock had it right when he said this. The reason we find so many dark places in the Bible is for the most part because there are so many dark places in our hearts. It's good, isn't it? This is good. Mark Twain, you know, he was always witty. He said, it's not the parts of scripture that I can't understand that trouble me. It's the parts that I do understand. That explains why unbelievers would reject the answers God's word gives in Genesis about the ultimate questions of life. But what about Christians? I got one more quote for you. It's from a, a philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard. And... Um, he gives us a very convicting but true answer. This is what he says. Listen, this is powerful. The matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand. But we as Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be able to understand it. To, excuse me. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. Take any words in the New Testament and forget everything except pledging yourself to act accordingly. My God, you will say, if I do that, my whole life will be ruined. And I'm going to just add in that quote, not just any words in the New Testament, any words in the Old Testament as well. So as we work through this incredible foundational holy book of God's holy word, why don't we pledge ourselves to believe and act accordingly as to have our whole lives unmade, listen, so that our glorious, merciful God can then remake them into, according to his image and his will and for his glory. Amen. Amen. So that's what I hope your prayer and my prayer will be, God, as we actually face these things, that we face the truth, unmake me where I'm sinful. And re continue to remake me in the image of your son, Lord Jesus. We already know he's doing that. Amen. So why don't we open up our hearts even more mm -hmm. so that our lives uh, would be our, we would be a good place for the Holy Spirit to dwell and for Jesus to take up residence and feel more at home 
I'm starting to feel a little more at home at Santa, in Santo's body. That's what I want to hear. And I hope you want to hear the same thing. So we're going to start looking at this. Believe me, we probably won't get too far. But this is what we're going to see as we look at Genesis 1 in particular. In the beginning, God created the universe, listen, out of nothing. And when he did so, he made it good. That's it. That's what we're going to see. Uh, in the beginning, God created the universe out of nothing. And when he did so, he made it good. Now, I was, when I read, we read how many times he kept saying, and it was good, and God saw that it was good. All I could think about was God done, when God was done, him going, man, that's good. <laughs> Amen? Amen? All right, God created the universe. That's number one. Look at verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There we have it, my brothers and sisters. Clear as crystal. <laughs> what? That's right. It's unambiguous. It's as unambiguous as the look of joy on the face of a child on Christmas morning. And it's as profound as any truth can be. In the beginning, God. Now listen, I'm going to stop there for a second. In the beginning, God. Not primeval slime. Forgive me. Or don't forgive me. rather. Not some big bang that came from nowhere and had no originator. Not some pre-existing existing matter that was there already, but G-O-D, and to be precise, in the Hebrew, Elohim. God. And in case we don't know which God the author's talking about, spoiler alert, verses 2 and verse 26 suggest that the one true God exists in more than one person. In other words, look at this. We have God in the beginning, then we have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, right, in verse 2. And in the verse 26, we have this, this, this verse that puzzled theologians pretty much up until the, the Trinity was clearly revealed in the New Testament. We have God saying this, let us make man, plural, in our image, plural. Poof, mind blown. Because we know God is one. But the mystery that was concealed in the Old Testament and it's revealed in the New Testament that he's three persons, one God. Amen. And don't worry about it if you can't figure that out because the only way you can figure that out is if you were God. Because we're finite. Our minds can't figure that out. God's infinite. Now some might impose their own idea in the text and say that God's referring to angels when he says us. But I'm sorry, angels didn't create anything. <laughs> They're the created order just like we are. As a matter of fact, the New Testament Hebrew says they are just ministering spirits who are to minister to those who inherit salvation. You know, the angels probably say, why do you love these people so much? And God says, be quiet, do what I tell you. That's angels. I don't get it. These hairy old men. I don't know. We got wings and stuff, but not. But they're created like you and like me. And my point is not that the first readers of Genesis, don't get me wrong, thousands of years before Christ came on earth, would understand these verses to refer to the Trinity. Rather, my point is that uh, as the teaching of the Trinity is progressively revealed more and more throughout biblical revelation, as we go back and look, and then we look at this verse, then it makes sense. Then we say, aha, that's why it says, let us make God. God had been slowly given hints. Little hints. And we're going to see in Genesis, believe it or not, you're going to see more hints of the Trinity. 
So this is just the beginning. We will see more. So in the beginning, God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. So no matter how some folks try to deny it, no matter how others try to reinterpret it so that it affects their pet theories, whether scientific or philosophical, God created everything that's been created, all things in heaven and on earth. And I love what Dean Smith says. This is my favorite quote about this that I've ever found. He says that the universe was formed by a fortuitous concourse of atoms. I will no more believe than that the accidental jumbling of the alphabet would fall into a most ingenious treatise of philosophy. In other words, that's like you have letters are here, you just throw them on the ground, all of a sudden it comes out to be Shakespeare. I don't think so. So we know God did it. But now we're going to meddle. The next question, how did God do it? Woo. The Bible tells us clearly that God created everything, wait for it, out of nothing. Ex nihilo, to speak just a little bit of Latin that I do know. That means out of nothing. And this is super important to know. This means that prior to his work of creation, there was no pre-existing matter. In other words, it wasn't like there was this eternal stuff that existed with God all along. Right? God created matter out of nothing. You know, sometimes my wife will kid around and say, hey, we want to eat tonight. And I'm like, I don't know if we took anything out for dinner. She goes, I'll make something out of nothing. But, you know, that's only a little colloquial saying because she's really not making something out of nothing, literally. Because we got leftovers that she's going to put together and smash them together and say, look at this surprise. And I go, delicious. Great. No, but I, it is delicious usually. But the point is, she's not making something out of nothing, is she? There's stuff in the fridge that she's turning into something. Now, when the Bible says something out of nothing, we're talking about literally he made everything out of nothing. And listen, it's not my personal interpretation like, oh, well, there's another view of Genesis. No, there's not. Oh, how can I say that? Hebrews 11, verse 3. Here, just to give you a nice atom bomb on this. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed how? At God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what? Was visible. So in other words, God called it into existence. So I remember when I was in a pastor in church in upstate New York, there's a Interesting fellow who would come on Sunday nights sometimes. And he said, we have power like God to call things into existence. And normally I try to like gently just kind of, yeah, because I don't want to be mean. This time I said, no, we don't. Just flat out. I didn't, you know, usually try to be kind and say, well, I can understand. Why. No, no, I just said, no, we don't. And he goes, well, it says it. I said, where does it say it in the Bible? He goes, well, I don't know. It says it somewhere. I said, no, it doesn't. I said, until you could show me in the Bible where it says it. As a matter of fact, the word there for create that God made here in Genesis, it's the word bara, which is only ever used of God creating. It's never used of man making something. It's always God. It's out of nothing. I'll give you a little funny joke that I heard years ago. There's a scientist and, and God, and the scientist challenges God to a contest of who can make the better human being. God tells him that he's on. And so the scientist, in great delight, bends over to pick up some dust to make his human being. And God says, uh-uh-uh, get your own stuff. Get it? Get your own stuff. 
Now, there are some Christians, and whether it's because they, they fear uh, scientific inquiry will contradict the Bible, which we know true science would never do that. But they refuse to simply take God at his word here in Genesis 1. Oh, thank you very much. But notice here, as we look at the text, it's, I know there are different views um, on this, but I will say this. There's one thing that we have to understand is that Adam could not have been, uh, could not have evolved from slime and then slowly into a different form and then another form and another form because we see in the text here that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now people may say, well, he was a living being, but he wasn't modern man like we know it today. Well, here's the problem with that. This is what Adam says once he's created, and then Eve is created out of one of his ribs, this is what Adam says. And tell me if this sounds like a caveman to you. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's poetry, my friends. So man was intelligent when God created him. And when God went and breathed his breath into him. Which, just a little side note too. If you would have examined Adam scientifically, you would have said, oh, this we have before us uh, about a 20-year-old man. But how old was he really? <laughs> Seconds? A minute old? A day old? One time when Mary and I uh, had taken a visit to my cousins in Atlanta, my one cousin who professed to be a Christian, said to me, are you trying to tell me you believe God made everything we see here out of nothing just by the power of his own word? And he like sneered at me. And I said, well, you say you're a Christian, right? He said, well, yeah. I said, okay, you trying to tell me that God rose somebody from the dead who had been dead for three whole days and was rotten already? And he put this little wry smile on. I said, exactly. God is the God who makes things happen. He is the God of the resurrection. He is the creator God who calls things that aren't into existence. By his, look, how many times, as we, I read the whole text on purpose, how many times did it say, and God said, and then what? And it was. And then it adds, and it was good. <laughs> Just in case you're missing that. He's the God that makes things happen. So God created everything in the beginning. He did it. Um, out of nothing, and I want you to see he did it by the power of his spoken word. Verse 3, let there be light, and there was light. How badly we need to take this to heart and keep it in the forefront of our minds always. That Listen, God creates, he recreates, he sustains, and he upholds the universe by what? His powerful word. It's the word that comes out of his mouth. He says it, and it happens. Because when the Lord gets ready, you got to move. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he didn't do what my family does. In a minute. You know, half hour later, I'm on my way. No, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, what happened? Lazarus popped up, man. I love what one theologian says. Good thing he said Lazarus. Or all the dead would have come out. 
That's the word of God. Psalm 33, 6 says this. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. <laughs> Man, that's good. That excites me because that's the God we serve, brothers and sisters. Almighty God, the God of creator in heaven and earth. And, and I'm only going to go a couple more moments and then we'll, we'll cut it off and we'll start again um, next time. But what I want you to see here is uh, this book of uh, Genesis starts with creation, but then it goes through the creation of what? God's special people, who is Israel, right? Starts with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what I need you to see here, what we need to see, we can sometimes not connect the two because we get so lost in the details of the first three, cha three chapters, is that the author here, by the way, it's Moses, the human author, is connecting for us that the God who created the heavens and the earth is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The point is, all the other gods of the other nations, sorry, are idols. They are false gods. They're no gods. The one true God is the God of Israel. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why later in Exodus 20, 11, the same author writes, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And then we have to go look at the New Testament. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this in Acts 17 when he's preaching to pagans in Athens, Greek people. He says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he doesn't live in temples built by hand. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Here's the cool thing about God. He don't need you. He don't need me. And you know what? He didn't create the earth because he was lonely. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoyed one another for all eternity past and they were completely sufficient. They didn't need our sorry butts. The awesome thing about God is he loves us so much he created us just because he wanted to for his own glory and his own purposes. And that's going to touch upon, as we'll see in, a, in, a, in further messages from Genesis, why we're really here. It ain't about you and me. It's about the one who made us. He has a plan. He does have a plan. I want to mention this and then we're, we're going to come to a, a close we have to look we looked at the context of Genesis and the Pentateuch now let's look at the context of the whole Bible and when we look at that we see that not only was the father there not only did the spirit um, have a part in creation but we know that the son Jesus had a part in creation look at John 1 3 just for an example through him that's Jesus all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. One more. 
Hebrews 1.1, I quoted it earlier. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. There's nothing you don't see that you don't enjoy that Jesus didn't make for you. And I'm just going to mention the last point because we got I talked about it already, so I'll just mention it. And God created everything out of nothing by his word through his son, and he created it all good. We saw how many times, and God said it was good. God saw it was good. God saw it was good. God saw it was good. You know what that means? It means this. Sex is good in its proper context. Food <laughs> is good. Again, in its proper context. So in other words, you can take marriage is good. All these good things God created us, that created for us, in their, for their purpose, can be twisted into evil things. Amen. They could be, we could idolize them to a point where they're no longer good for us, but it's not because they're not intrinsically good. They are intrinsically good. So there is a good, great doctrine of creation here that we can see, that we're going to see it developed in the book of Genesis. Even after the fall, we'll talk about how still these things are created to be used for God's glory in their proper place. So brothers and sisters, very often we will hear the fact that the gospel doesn't make sense to hear the good news until you first understand the bad news about man's sin. Amen? Amen. And how he needs the gospel. Well, I've got to tell you something else. That doesn't make any sense until you understand the truth of that God created us good and upright in his own image. And so we're going to see all three of those things developed for us in Genesis. So I hope your appetite is whetted to come, come with us in the, this fall, this winter, and let's dig deep into this awesome book of Holy Scripture for the glory of Jesus that we might serve him with great joy and purpose. Isn't it awesome to have a purpose? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. In the beginning, you. And that you created all these things for your glory, including us, but that you created the world fit for us to live in, that we might work in it, that we might play in it, that we might glorify you in it, that it would be fit for human beings who, who very uniquely you made after your own image. God, we acknowledge as the story goes on, we are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, and we are fallen. And yet we thank you that as you promised back then, uh, you would send the son of the woman who would be the savior of the world. We thank you for him that he created everything along with you in the spirit and that he is our redeemer and that he's coming back to restore creation even better than when it first was made. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.